On every episode of Right Stuff, we encourage you to use the words that God gave you to encourage someone else. But what if your words were more than just your encouragement? What if they were a prescription? And that's coming up next right here on The Right Stuff. Hi, and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, M.A. Malcolm. She hails all the way from Jamaica. And I know those of you who have been to Jamaica, I know the first thing you want to do is to start dancing. I know you want to just be in the balmy breeze, the beaches, the beautiful ocean views and all of that good stuff. But she's not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that in a second interview that we're doing with M.A. Malcolm. Today, she's going to be talking about the prescription of your word. I can't wait to delve into that topic in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff to see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on that pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel. We'll be uploading lots of episodes on there, and stay tuned for that. And so, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest co-host today, M.A. Malcolm. Marsha, how are you doing today? I'm good, Parker. How are you? I am so glad that you took time out of your schedule to be here with me. That is how I am doing. It's so exciting to talk to an author all the way from Jamaica. And I just can't wait to tell our listeners about an insider's view of Jamaica, not just a tourist view. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But I can't wait to tell our listeners how we connected and why this particular topic is so important for our aspiring authors out there. So I hope this whole episode, you're able to encourage aspiring authors out there. So once again, thank you for being with me today. I am so, so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Marsha, people are going to want to know a little bit about you. So go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as you mentioned, I'm Jamaican. I live in Jamaica with my son and three dogs. And my neighbors have guests today, and you can probably hear them in the background. But yeah, I have three dogs. They are the light of my life, along with my son. I live two miles from my parents, and that's very important to me because mommy's cooking is the greatest. And I'm a Christian editor who happens to write. I'm not really a writer, but I'm an editor who happens to write. So that's who I am. It's funny that you would say that because you are a writer. <laughs> I just want to let you know. I want to peel back the veil. You're a writer. If you wrote a book, you are a writer. So I know what you mean. You tend to help other people with their words. Right. I'm a reluctant writer. (laughs) Very reluctant writer because I believe that my gift is to encourage Christians, people who are already saved, to be the best that they can be and to be who God has called them to be. So I have found that because I also have a gift of writing, of editing rather that it's been a good way for me to help writers to get their words out there, to kind of polish their words and make them shine. So becoming a writer, it's still, even though I've been doing it for a few years now, it's still kind of unfamiliar to me because it's not something I would have done by choice. But we can talk about that a little bit later. 
in the interview. But yeah, I'm a reluctant writer. I love that because everyone has a different pathway to how they enter into their writing career. And yours is very intriguing and interesting. And so as an editor, what are some of the common mistakes you see that writers make with their work? I think perhaps the most common mistake is not establishing for yourself as a writer who your audience is. So even though I love to read fiction, I'm actually a former national reading champion of Jamaica, which is one of the hugest accomplishments of my life. I love to read fiction primarily, but I edit nonfiction mainly. And I think one of the issues is that people don't know who they're writing for. And because they don't know who they're writing for, they don't know how to word their story so that it connects with the reader that that they should be writing for. So it's really critically important before you put pen to paper or finger to keyboard to know who you're writing for and to keep that ideal reader in mind for the entire writing process. Because if you don't know who you're writing for, then, you know, when your reader starts to read the book, they won't know who you were writing for either. So that's major. So are you talking about a genre categorization or are you talking about the storytelling itself? I think the storytelling itself, because like I said, I rarely edit fiction. I have maybe three or four authors who write fiction who I work with. So most of my editing is nonfiction. I, I edit a lot of memoirs. And I think because people are writing memoirs and they're writing their own story, they think about themselves, but they don't think about tweaking their story for the person who will be reading it. So if, for example, you're reading, your reader is supposed to be a teenager, then that will definitely tailor how you write your memoir. So it's the storytelling of it that has to resonate with the ideal reader because your book is not and should not be for everyone. Everyone is not going to pick up your book and think this is the best book that was ever written. So you have to accept that at the start create an avatar in your mind of who you're writing for and then write for that single individual avatar or person or character, if you will, rather than just writing for everybody because your book can't and should not be for everybody. You know, writing doesn't work that way and reading doesn't work that way. Sometimes I pick up a book and I'll say immediately, this book is not for me and I'll put it down again and move on to the next. So we have to keep that ideal reader in mind. Very sage advice you give, Marsha. I think more people will be blessed by those words. It's interesting, too, because you mentioned that you do a lot of editing for memoirs. And memoirs are extremely personal to the author because they are being vulnerable about the happenings in their life and they're sharing it with the world. And they're thinking, wow, look what has happened to me and They may want some sort of acknowledgement, some sort of validation, and not everyone cares. (laughs) It's a sad truth. It's a sad truth, but not everyone is interested in that. So I'm glad that you let us know. Make sure you know who your target audience is. I think that's a good one to share with our listeners. What would you think would be the second most populous era that authors make as well? I think too many authors don't read their work from a place of distance, meaning as soon as you finish writing, lay the manuscript aside for a while, give yourself a break, try to forget about it for at least a week, longer if you have time, and then kind of approach the manuscript with new eyes. And I would even recommend with new ears, listen to your manuscript. You know, if you're writing now in 2023, there are so many ways you can listen to your manuscript. So I, for example, like to just use Microsoft Word 
to play my text back to me. And Google Docs has the capacity as well, if you use it in the Chrome browser, to play your words back to you. Listen to it. Set aside time to actually sit in one sitting if possible and listen to your work from beginning to end. Because when you do that, you kind of grasp the entire story. And some of the things that you intended to say that were not said will jump out at you. And some of the things that you might have wanted to say in a different way will jump out at you just because you're hearing a different voice telling your own story. I think it really does make a difference. People don't take the time. They're so eager to get the book out there that they do not take the time to separate themselves for a little bit. And then when they come back to it, use a different methodology, use a different modality. In my case, I like to listen to it. And even, I mean, you can download it on your tablet or something and let Alexa read it to you. You can have Siri read it to you. Just don't approach it as, I am the writer, I am the author, I am the expert, I know everything, and therefore everything that's in it has to be correct. Sometimes you meant to say something and you didn't say it. Sometimes you think you said it and you didn't say it. It's important to just take that time and, you know, take a break and then come back to it with fresh ears, fresh eyes, and a fresh perspective. I can definitely resonate and empathize with this because in one of my books from back in 2018, I want to say, I made a mistake and added an ocean in a landlocked state. And it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> so my girlfriend, she said, I was reading your book and I got up and she called me. She said, Parker, there is no ocean in Colorado. And I'm like, but there has to be because I put it in there. She said, no, there is no ocean. It wasn't a fantasy novel. So <laughs> there's that. And I was so embarrassed. So thank God for Kindle because I was able to hurry up and change that before it got too well, though, with people because I would hate to have that on my epitaph. Parker J. Cole, the woman who put a C in Colorado, right? But I did put a C in Colorado. So, yeah, I understand that. I'm glad that's some sage advice there. Now, as an editor, one thing you do, you do see different styles of writing and different styles of how people tell their stories. How important is an author's voice to telling that story? I think the author's voice is critical. Whether you're writing memoirs or a business book, a self-help book, a novel, I think the author's voice is critical. And one of the most difficult things for an editor to do is to make the necessary changes without overwriting or overriding the author's voice in the book because people take up books by a particular author because they want to hear that author's voice. So it, it really is critical. And in order to present that well to an audience, you as the author have to accept and know your own voice so that you're not switching to a different style or a different personality halfway through the book because it confuses readers. And primarily, although I've said I'm an editor and I'm a reluctant writer, primarily I'm a reader and I do not want to be confused when I'm reading through a book. I don't want to get to know an author in the first few chapters and then have a totally different person appear later in the book. It's critical to know who you are before you start to write because these things come through in the writing. When you have discerning readers, this is why it's important to engage professionals in the process, meaning your mother is a great reader. My mother and father are my primary beta readers, but I also let my book get into the hands of professionals who know that, hey, you changed your voice halfway through the book. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an editor, but it should be somebody who reads critically and is able to give you the strengths and the weaknesses of your book in a way that is palatable to you because authors as creatives, we're very sensitive 
as an editor, I have to know how to kind of gently tell the author that this part of your book sucks, essentially, and you have to rewrite this part. But if you just let your English teacher read it and your English teacher is not someone who reads because English teachers don't necessarily have to read, that's not going to be enough. If you have your grandmother read it, she's going to love everything that you have written. That's not going to be enough. So once you decide that you're going to become an author, surround yourself with like-minded people, reach out to them privately and ask them, would you be able to just read this and tell me what you think about it? You know, stuff like that, because it's difficult for us as creatives to accept criticism. But I will tell you this, you would prefer to get criticism in a private arena rather than to have Goodreads or Amazon or other reviews give you the critiques there. Like, take the critiques privately, because people, when they're critiquing you publicly and they're behind a, a screen and they're distant from you, they can be brutal. And their critiques can really impact your writing going forward, and it can impact people's reception to you as a writer. Good advice there. And I know about getting those sorts of critical and very stringent critiques from the outside world. So you definitely want to take all the feedback you can before you put your book out there. But like you said and cautioned us earlier in our broadcast here, you said that sometimes even with all of that, I might not be your reader. <laughs> so you have to be mindful of that too. So good advice, Marsha. Thank you so much for sharing it. I want to switch gears here because one of the reasons why I contacted you to be on your show wasn't just to highlight your series, His Last Hope, which we'll be doing in a second interview with Marsha in the coming weeks. I wanted to highlight something that had happened to you that led to us connecting today. So go ahead, tell us a little bit about a woman you know named Nardia. Okay, so it's interesting because I mentioned her name this morning before coming into this interview. And Nardia is a woman I met in Montego Bay, Jamaica, I would say six years ago. And at the time, I was doing market research for an international research company. They would call me and say, you know, we're going to be introducing a new product to the market or our client is going to be introducing a new product to the market. Can you go into the streets and talk with the people? Now, being very introverted, that's the most difficult thing that you could ask me to do. But sometimes, you know, when people are paying you well to do something, you do what you would not be likely to do otherwise. So I was doing one of these research projects and I parked my car in Montego Bay, which is about an hour from where I live. And I was just walking along the street and I stopped to speak with this woman and ask her where I could find someone to talk to about this particular new product that was being introduced. And the woman was just so pleasant and welcoming that I ended up standing and talking with her for maybe an hour. And her name was Nordia. And because I was doing research in that town for several days that week, I ended up going back because she stole things like water, fruit, chewing gum. She just had a little cart on the side of the road that she was selling from, but she happened to have a chair and she was under a tree. So because I'd been walking a lot, I would take breaks and go and chat with her for hours. And she was just really, really wise. And when I spoke to her and heard her story, I was amazed because she had so much insight into life. And speaking to her over the course of a few days, I realized that she was a mother of three. She stopped going to school when she was 11 years old. And I remember saying to her, 11, then how come you, you're so, and I couldn't find the word. And she said, articulate. And I said, yes, if you stop going to school at 11, how come you're so articulate? And she said, because you should know, even though at the time, you know, I had worked as a university or college professor and 
I had already written my first novel. She said, you should know by now that all learning does not take place in a classroom. And I was just amazed by this woman. And she just really, really impacted me. I kept in touch with her for a couple of years after meeting her. I remember I was having dental problems when I met her. She referred me to a dentist who turned out to be an excellent dentist. I mean, it was just a good experience. And she just really, really left an impression on me. So much so that when I decided to really put the third book, His Last Chance, into my, or should I say, onto my writing horizon, because like I said, I'm really reluctant. It took me six years to write that book. When I decided to scrap everything, start all over again, she made her way into that book as a character. I named the character Nadia with a Y, just to add a little bit of interest to the person's name, although in real life her name was Nordia. And I described the character in much the same way that I remembered Nordia. But when I wrote the book, when I finished writing it and I was going to publish it, I decided to dedicate it to a few friends of mine who had been really, really supportive of the writing process. And I wanted to dedicate it to Nordia as well because she had made such an impact on me. When the book was ready and I had copies in hand, I wanted to send her a copy, but I had not heard from her in a couple of years. And, you know, I tried calling her. The number kept ringing without answer. And I was just kind of concerned. So I remembered that when I spoke with her in Montego Bay, she had introduced me to a friend of hers and she had insisted that I should take this man's telephone number. And I told her I didn't want the man's number. She said, yes, but he owns like he owns an auto parts store. If you ever need auto parts, you can reach out to him. And so I had his name and the road that Nordia operated on in my phone. So when I kept calling Nordia last year, and I couldn't get her, I decided to call this man because he's the only person I knew who knew her. And it took him a while to figure out who I was talking about. And then he said, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but she died of COVID. And I was just shocked. I was just shocked because I had just dedicated my book to this woman. And I wanted to surprise her by sending her a copy of the book and saying, check out the dedication. And she would have seen herself. And I I wanted her to read the book and see herself as an impact character in the book, which, you know, Nadia with a Y is very impactful in the book, only to find out that she had died. And she would never know that somebody had dedicated a book to her. She will never know. And it was just really, really difficult for me on that day, learning that this beautiful shining light of a human being had died. And that, you know, the best way I could think of to honor her, she would not have been aware of it because she was already gone. I even haven't been able to get in touch with her family or anything to let them know either. But I mean, it was just, it reminded me that when God gives us a message for people, we have a responsibility to share that message with people. I might not have finished the book in time because I think she died a couple of years before I heard that she died. I might not have finished the book, but I should have at least told her, you have made such a difference in my life. Talking to you has opened up a whole new perspective for me because my life was very sheltered. So I couldn't imagine at 11 years old having to stop going to school and start working on a farm to help support my family, to have three children by the time she was 19, I think, or two children by the time she was 17, something like that. It was just, she really opened my eyes. And and what I realized was that If God has given us a message to share and we don't share that message, then on some level we are accountable for what happens to the people who should have received that message from us. If God gives us a prescription for people, 
and we keep that prescription to ourselves because we're reluctant writers or we're nervous or we don't want to be vulnerable or we don't want to put ourselves out there. And the people that we were supposed to deliver a message to, the people that we were supposed to hand that prescription to, die because they didn't get the prescription, then we are accountable. And it's it's just really interesting timing that before I came on here, I was nervous and I was watching an old Facebook Live that I did. And it mentioned, I think it's Ezekiel 3, and it's the same message. It says, if God gives you a message to give somebody and you don't give it to them, then you are accountable to what happens to them. You're accountable for what happens to them. And I also read today in Acts 20, I think it was, where Paul said, I have told you what God told me to tell you. If you don't act on it, then your blood is on your own hands because I have done what God told me to do. So the question I have for your listeners the question I have for your audience is, told you a message that he wants you to share with people, for example, in the form of a book. And because of your own insecurities, you have decided not to share that message. If that's the case, then it's quite possible that you're withholding a prescription that somebody needs to hear, needs to have. You're withholding medication from somebody who needs to be medicated because of your own insecurities. If God has called you to it, then you need to do it. And I'm speaking to myself, too, because once again, I'm being very reluctant when it comes to writing the next book. What's fascinating is that we're used to hearing about prescriptions in a health way. You need a prescription because you have an infection. You need a prescription because this hurts, that hurts, what have you. In this case, your prescription is your words to the reader that needs to read your words. And I think this is a very significant part of the conversation here. And that's what drew me to reaching out to you to have you talk to my audience about this very important fact of what being a writer is all about. Because words are so powerful, they can be healing. They can actually free you. When you begin to talk about something that hurts you, which is why memoirs are such a good idea for people who have been traumatized by some event in their life. And when they put those words out there, it's very freeing for them. They're actually released from the stronghold of secrecy. They're released from the stronghold of victimhood. They're released from the stronghood of guilt, shame. Even if you are, let's say, not the victim, but the perpetrator of something that you did to someone else, whether you so hurt, harm, when you release it to the Lord first, because he can forgive you, And then you let people know, I did this, I was wrong, but I've been forgiven, and so can you. That is a prescription for someone to read. So these are the concepts I wanted Marsha to share with you, dear listener, because some of you are sitting there with a story idea that you know you want to share, but for whatever reason, which usually lends to your own insecurities, you're not doing that. And so I wanted this to be a tale to you, that to use the words that God gave you, they're there. They just have to come out. And then you don't have to write it perfectly. That's what editors are for. Marsha just said, I edit memoirs. So for you out there who want to share your story, whatever it is, go ahead, write it out, and then call Marsha. Okay, (laughs) give her a call. She'll help you out. It doesn't have to sound perfect right away. Now, one thing I want to do, too, with this prescription of words, I want people to understand that this was not something that you just took with a single grasp. It was very difficult to grapple with the 
message of this? Yes, and, and it was actually a client of mine who pointed it out to me because it was something that God was dealing with her about. She is a songwriter, and she happened to write a song that had the same name of a very popular Christian song. She wrote hers before the other one became popular, but because she figured people were going to compare both songs, and I'll tell you, the name of her song is Waymaker, and we all know the Waymaker song by Sinatch Josephs, I think her name is. And she was saying to me that she had this song that really was glorifying God, but because of the timing of it, she almost decided not to release it. So it was actually her telling me that she had to battle with her own insecurities to get the song out there that made me realize that perhaps what I have been doing as well is allowing my own insecurities to prevent me from getting my writing out there. And even though I do write books and they go out into the public eye, it's very difficult because, like I said earlier, when people are behind that screen and they're criticizing your work, they don't always consider that you're a human being as well. And sometimes it can be really brutal, really harsh. And as someone who is as introverted as I am, it scared me and it continues to scare me. I just said to somebody this morning, the next book that I have to write, is going to be the most difficult because of the message that's in it and how vulnerable I am going to have to be. So I continue to grapple with this, but I know that the message that I have in the next book is a prescription for somebody. So I cannot allow my weaknesses to prevent me from doing what God has called me to do. And if you are going to be the doctor for someone's words or for someone's life, so your words can heal them, then go ahead and write out the prescription today. Marsha, thank you so much for joining me for this part one of our interview with you. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you online? Well, the easiest way to get to me would be just sending me an email at authormamalcolm at gmail.com. That's A-U-T-H-O-R-M-A-M-A-L-C-O-L-M at gmail.com. My website is it's mamalcolm.com. I am on Facebook as, I think, M.A. Malcolm Author. I'm not currently on Instagram, but I do have an account there as soon as I remember my password. And I have another website that is PurposefulAuthorSupport.com. So if you're looking for editing services, PurposefulAuthorSupport.com. If you're looking for me as an author, it's M.A.Malcolm.com. So it's M-A-M-A-L-C-O-L-M.com. Marsha, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Really enjoyed having you, and we'll be having you back and having you back real soon. Thank you so much for having me. And we were talking today to M.A. Malcolm, Marsha. She is the author of His Last Hope series, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Like I said, this is part one of our discussion with Marsha, and next time we talk to her, we're going to be going in-depth into her series, His Last Hope. You're definitely going to want to get your copies of those books. Go ahead, go to Amazon today and pick up the whole series because I know you are going to enjoy it. One thing I want to encourage you, dear author, is that I always say, if God has given you the gift to write, go ahead and write what he has given you. But even deeper is the idea that your words can be the prescription to heal someone's mind, their heart, to give them ease for a bad day. It doesn't matter. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the queen, Parker J., and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.